Hey, it's Craig Finn from The Hold Steady. We're reissuing Almost Killed Me in Separation Sunday. Uh, they're out now, and I've been talking to some of the people involved in making the record, uh, trying to remember sort of the process and uh, some of the things that were happening around those recordings. Um, Galen came over to my house, and we talked through those first two records, our memories of, and here's a conversation with me and Galen. The record came out in like March 04, I think. So my take on it was like we had like a May session and a September session or something like that in 03. That sounds about right. I mean, I, I remember the turnover not seeming that long. Right. By the time, you know, by the time it was mixed and, you know, mastered to the yeah. time it came out, was, was the turnaround was pretty quick, right? Yeah. Well, back then we were only... I mean, that's interesting in modern times too because... At the time of those records, 2004, vinyl was so... It was just not in a good spot. And right, so, like, right. vinyl was out of the picture. I mean, we did do vinyl through another label, but CD manufacturing is obviously, like, a two-week turnaround sure. or something. So records could kind of come out quickly. Right. Um, I think we just played in the same room and then maybe did some overdubs after. Like, were you standing in the room with I, Judd? But I don't think I was standing in the room with you, though. I think, I, think I was gone. I, think, I was. In I the, think you were. Were you? You maybe were like cutting vocals like live, or I don't. I mean, I think I overdubbed the vocals eventually, but I probably okay. did a scratch like, a, like, like a in the control vocal. room. Okay. That, that sounds um, about right. And I think maybe you, Tad, and Judd were in the room with the, and then maybe I'm sure Tad's amp was closed off. <laughs> you know? yeah. there'd be some bleed there. I think. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think that was in the era of the park, which yeah, was the loudest yeah. amp um, yeah. known to man. But I remember it going. It was pretty much play the songs. It was pretty get them on, get them on tape, and then do you know guitar overdub too, or a fix you know here or there, like if there was a you know a little overdub fixing, and then uh, and then. Although you know what, come to think of it, I think I probably played guitar. Oh, of you know, sure, which sure, which. Sure. Probably on the first two records, I probably played guitar. Where Definitely. I don't, starting with Boys and Girls, I don't think I played much guitar. I, th I think, yeah, um, I think that was kind of. I think, I mean, and it was, you know, no, <laughs> I don't think anyone bullied you into it. I no, think you were just kind of like, Ugh. yeah. Well, it's just kind of like when we got into more layering on Boys and Girls, it was like, well, Tad can play that part really well, and I, I can, you know, it, it'll sound better. So, right. but there were like fringe characters. Kind of coming in and out of oh, Atomic too. I mean, remember those guys that sold clothing like Blue and uh, that other guy Oliver, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they had like you know there were there were some dudes creeping around oh, that yeah. were like, uh, which I think in my mind led. I found them totally entertaining. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and it's like we were you know we we were recording a record with Dean, so it's like you know they weren't. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were definitely. I mean, uh, peripheral characters for sure. But I liked. I mean, I liked it. It, it sort of led to my. I thought it fit well with our aesthetic, and, Absolutely. And, and you know, even with like the album cover, right? Um, sure, which sure. a lot of those guys are, you know, some of those guys are featured on the album cover. Of. Right. And Franz came in and played piano mm -hmm. on on certain songs and uh, "Sweet Pain," and I was talking to him last night, and I sort of forgot. He said something that I forgot about that that him and Hess really rolled around a lot together at that time, and I don't. We were trying to. I think we asked Franz to come play piano. I'm sure we did, mm -hmm. but I also sort of feel like he kind of came with Peter at the same time. Like they kind of came as a package deal. At the same, 
rough. It ended up working. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, if that if that's how it went down. No, I mean, I mean, yeah. we we'd asked him separately, but I just sort of feel like at a, he said at a lot of, a lot of sessions he went to at that time, they both kind of come and right, right. dress it up a little, you right. know, because um, right. you know, obviously they can both play a bunch of different instruments, um, and pick just being schooled guys, just like pick it up quick. Exactly. When Peter Hess came in to do the sax solo in a. Hostile Mass, mm-hmm. Dijon in the other room said, "Are you guys playing Night Court yeah. in there?" Which was a great, uh, a great, uh, you know. There was a lot of. There was also some like good. You know, a, a sex solo is not terribly hard. No, though, really. You're right. <laughs> I moved to New York in 2000. I felt like my social life had uh, exploded at that time, and I feel like that's kind of what the album cover. In a good way, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I feel like that's what the album cover was kind of representative of all these scenes. And uh, we'd started playing in 2003, and by that point, I mean, I guess that's probably when Brownies was transitioning to Hi-Fi. That sounds about right. Yeah. And so you. In fact, I think 2002 was probably when Brownies closed. That sounds about and right. And so you yeah. started working at Hi-Fi. Right. Which became an epicenter of sorts. Sure, sure. For the whole steady. I mean... And, and for, you know, for a pretty large contingent of, you know, Studo knows a lot of yeah. people because he ran a rock club for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I would say the whole steady we put, universe... We put some time in there, for sure. The whole steady universe <laughs> uh, I was, was definitely centered around hi-fi at the time I, sure, you know sure um and then i remember i guess the, the two I, I can't remember how the touring was I, at some point we toured with the thermals i just heard hot john I, I digress briefly but did you hear hot john wtf no the whole city uh, the whole, whole stuff the whole city definitely comes up good cool. in, in in flattering light good, good. for the most part oh really for the most part <laughs> well i mean there's you know there's talk of our crowd being a tad bro-y and whatnot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. yeah. What are you? Yeah. Um, it was quaint that, like, we went to South by Southwest, we played our show, and we were totally satisfied. with Like, you know, now bands play, like, 17 shows at South by. Right, right, right. And that was... We did, uh, and we probably played for 45 minutes or something. Yeah, and we were... But, like, we weren't, like... I wasn't trying to get us other shows or anything. It was, like, we did South by. Like, it wasn't... Right, right, right. Like, Later, we, we'd done right. it. We right. did, like, it, I, we, I loved... I just don't think bands played that many shows back then. I think you just did your show mainly, and that was cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember, you know, and then that show at Elysium, I remember. Um, I remember it going really well. It went really well. Yeah. And I think it was a French Kiss show. Um, but it went really well. In fact, I know for a fact that John and Yellow was there and saw us for the first time there. And mm-hmm. um, a bunch of people showed up for that. So that was really cool. So, we wrote those songs, and then I was trying to think, like, you know, with with when we obviously with Separation Sunday able to come out, we wrote the songs. We made plan to go in the studio, and Sid had that deal. Sid from French Kiss had the deal with Gigantic, right? And it was like we could do it for free. There was some weird deal, but 
it allowed us to say, what if we did put together the dream team of Dave Gardner and, and Dean, which was a, in hindsight, no, which, which stellar is, move. It was a great call. But I don't know why, in hindsight, I don't know why we did that, being that I think we were all super happy with Dean. Sure. I think it might have been just like we wanted to hang out, have Dave hanging out, too. Right, right. Um, but in hindsight, do you... Okay, so we go in, uh, we go in to record, and we, we started right around Christmas time, because I remember we loaded in during the Christmas party with my office, because wow. I showed up hammered. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and to load in equipment, you need, you need to be drunk for that, obviously. Yeah, and, so. and, and it was in Tribeca, which was, like, in hindsight, weird. Like, we were, like, occupying the studio in Tribeca, which was Philip Glass's old studio, Franz reminded me, um, for a month in, like, kind of a fancy neighborhood if you will sure. and uh we loaded in and, and that day and this is you know this is another thing to a different time 2000 end of 2004 spin and rolling stone both came out with their year-end issues that that day and both of them had chosen almost killed me as like the bet one of the best records you didn't hear last right, year right, and right. i remember thinking like well that's awesome but like what if we made a record that people did hear and maybe this is like you know our, you know right but that said i didn't I felt like we'd still kind of lacked an audience, like we lacked a significant... Like, it didn't feel like we're... I mean, I, it, it had gone better than anything Lifter Puller had done, I felt like, almost killed me. Okay, but but, but speaking of Lifter Puller, but, but there, was definitely, there was definitely a carryover of... People were... There, there was... We weren't coming completely out of nowhere. No, there, that's there was, true. There was definitely, oh, this is, you know, this is like the new Lifter Puller thing. Yeah. And, you know... These guys moved to Brooklyn and blah blah blah. Yeah. So there's you know we there had, was that there was there was momentum. It was, there was momentum and and it was it was New York so it existed bigger nationally it's, than anything did in Minneapolis. I mean, it's inherently like, more high could, profile. Yeah, or you could go to Boston and do a little better or sure, Philly sure. or whatever. But inherently, it was more pro. And we were connected. I mean, you know, when you think about French Kiss was a really good label, so we were on a good label. And Les Heavy Five in two thousand four was pretty much the top of the indie world sure. you know um and we were certainly friendly with them and got to play with them so i guess we went and recorded uh except sunday at gigantic and it was a weird vibe in there i remember dean and dave being kind of disappointed that a lot of things didn't work that was just going to say exactly the yeah. same thing yeah it was just kind of like <laughs> oh what's wrong with this compressor and Oh, yeah. it's, well, it's not even plugged in, like or you know, a fuse is blown, or you know, yeah, or like this, and and this, and, I, and I'm, it, not, I'm not, a, I'm not a tech guy at all, but you know, all you know, it looked expensive to me. Yeah, they would <laughs> always be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe we have this compressor." And exactly. Like, oh, that doesn't work. Right, right, right. No, I mean, they just seem like a really good team. I mean, they and they, they just and they're just, you know, I mean, I've, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I found about being in this band like. You know, when the hang's good, good things happen. Right. And those guys were a good hang. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was, you know, and it's not to say that we weren't working and no. getting things done, but it was definitely aided and embedded by just kind of like hanging out and having fun. And it just, and, and I think, I think you can, I think that's on there somewhere. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's not like, it's a fun, I guess Separation Sunday is a fun record in its own, in its, in its own. It's, I mean, it's. I mean, the narrative, heavy. The narrative, the narrative is heavy. Bit, it's a bit dark, but but, yeah. but there's like a lot of kick-ass high-five moments. So, which yeah. are the fun parts, I guess. Right, right. 
in hindsight, I just can't believe how well they worked. And they're still good friends to this day no, no, because no, no, no. They, they hit they, it off immediately. Totally. You know? And they clearly enjoyed each other's company and were, you know, a really good team. And just, yeah. and everything, you know, not to discredit them at all. But I, I think we kind of, we pretty, I would say Tad, in particular from like a Sonic perspective, had a pretty good idea of where we wanted to go with yeah. it. And I think we were pretty well oiled at that point. And then Frogs came in at that record. And I think like for me, I remember being like, you know, and like say Cat, I knew it just felt like there was an, an added musicality that was exciting. I felt like, oh, of course, you know, in cattle, when all of a sudden he's playing a saw, right. you're like, well, we didn't have the saw before, that's for sure, you know. <laughs> right, right, and right. so that was there's some tones uh, that were um, we were able to play with. And I think get some dynamic, like Stevie, you know, perfect right. example. Like you wrote the chords, but like we immediately, I think, gave it to him right. to go down to the sort of Layla part. Right, and it was right. like, whoa, right, we can do right, this. Right. I mean, it was almost like, this is so fucking obnoxious. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, you know, that was not that we weren't, we, we weren't afraid of like being grandiose and, and, and being like kind of self-consciously ridiculous yeah. at times. It's like, it was kind of like, wow, that's totally ridiculous. And over the top, it totally stays. vivid memory of, of that whole time was uh but I remember getting rough mixes and, and sitting on my fire escape and going like this is really good yeah yeah and, and it wasn't and it wasn't you know I, it wasn't you know oh we're gonna be you too no right but it but I was just you know you know it resonated with me and I knew it was I knew it was good and I, I was just you know I was like yeah hmm, so you we'll felt s- we'll see what happens you felt like separation Sunday you felt like, like cause I felt like even though I, we weren't huge, there were people listening. Right. I felt like it was going to connect, but I'm not sure I thought that it would do what it did. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I had no idea of that, but but I certain, but I was just, you know, I knew we were making a good record. Yeah, and yeah. And that can't hurt, you know? Yeah. What about did, like, it didn't sound like an indie rock record to me because of the piano and stuff. It sounded more like a rock record. Right. You know? and, it, and, and it was, I mean... You know, I mean, by virtue of, uh, and it was just kind of, we knew each other as people and as musicians better. Franz was definitely, like, added, like, a more, you know, it just became more nuanced and more of a full thing. I sort of also felt like, I don't know, I just sort of felt like I was putting my 20s, which I liked a lot of indie rock, behind me. And I remember the first few years in the whole study listening to a lot of, like, well, Zeppelin and Thin Lizzy and Sheep Trick and right. and and saying like this stuff's classic for a reason. Like right, right. this is not like you know it's like cool to be on like some obscure band on a split seven inch, but like right. dude, Zeppelin three is awesome. You know, <laughs> right, and sort of right. embracing that. Well, but and, and I think just I mean, I lived in I lived in Minneapolis from ninety two to ninety six or yeah. whatever, and I don't I don't think I, I don't think it was specific to Minneapolis, but I just think the indie rock community whatever yeah. that means 
like all of that stuff was just kind of denounced as completely uncool. And it's like, oh well, that that totally rocks, dude. Yeah, like that, right. and there there's def it was definitely met with like an eye roll and. It was like you know, if you were doing that kind of thing, you would do you would do it ironically right. because that was the only way it was okay. And it's and you know much much to what you're saying, it's like that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, like, it was an embracing like, of like the shit we liked. I don't know, just like classic strip, you know. And after the movie, we cut off the grounds I got in your car and rolled around the lower town Yeah, well, she was at the Citadel He was getting high as hell The Catholicism nature of the narrative, did that worry you? Do you remember being concerned? A little? Yeah, I don't blame you Okay, I mean, <laughs> I mean um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, you know it's part of who you are, and it, and it turned into part of what we were, kind of. And it was, you know, it was a bit. I mean, I'm wildly atheist, mm -hmm. but but uh, people responded to it. Yeah, people responded. Yeah, I it mean, it was, was it was gonna. Some people just get nervous when you say Jesus. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm one of them. Yeah, sure. so it's like you know, it's like. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was interested. I wasn't apologetic, but I was interested. How that would play, right, right, right. With some with, with, fairly with the band personally, or no, just in general? Okay. I mean, just sort of like more yeah, with the world at large. Gotcha, gotcha. I think you know, it's indie rock, especially at the time, was not a place you know for sure. for, for for organized religion or in, in I wouldn't call that an organized religion, but like you know, Catholicism and theology discussions and whatnot. What I right. think we found, I think, is we found a lot of lapsed Catholics who hadn't thought about that shit in a long time. Right, but liked rock. Well, yeah, and, 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 and I think I mean I wouldn't call it dichotomous necessarily, but it was just kind of you know you're going for a very like verbose mm -hmm. storytelling thing where you really kind of have to pay attention. And I think it was counterbalanced by a band that wasn't like afraid to be ridiculous and over the top, yeah, and and like borderline belligerent almost. Yeah, belligerent, and it's like you know there may be like mentions of Jesus or or Saint Teresa, but it's then there's a talk box. So there's a talk box and a, and a brew getting shotgunned in between <laughs> those two stories, you know. Right. So I feel exactly. like it was, uh, um, you know, that Dave was never afraid of telling us that we were. Being yeah. completely ludicrous and ridiculous, and, yeah, and and without worried about like worrying about bruised egos or anything else, he was just uh, I have to step in and say this is dumb because it's dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or not dumb enough for some, or you know, he was just he was he was just really he was good and not terribly gentle about that, yeah. which is what we needed. So the record comes out and it came out in May. Well, I think we went, we went to like actually wait no. So the record came out. We went to South by. I think we played four shows that year, including like the, I remember the big one on the spin at Stubbs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that felt like things were, momentum was going on, and uh, oh, sure. I remember going, being at Hi-Fi, and talking about, like, we gotta, like, ask everyone we know, everyone we work with to go to the Bowery Ballroom for this record. I felt like the Bowery Ballroom was too aggressive for our record sure. release. Sure. No, no, no. It sound, seemed huge. Of um, course. 
And then the Village Voice came out and it sold out in advance, and it mm-hmm. was like, oh my! And that felt like off to the races. For yeah, me. yeah, yeah. That, that was the, yeah. That that's was, the last moment I remember. Like, right, 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 right. Um, that was a tipping point for sure. Yeah, I just felt like I mean, couple, that, well, and that's 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 another kind of kind of example of how media has changed, or not not only yeah. you know just like media in general, mm-hmm. as opposed to how it how it how it reflects on music, but you know. The cover of the Village Voice. Now it's like, when was the last time you saw the cover of the Village yeah, Voice? Yeah, and also like our our success was largely largely due to good reviews, which I, I just don't think I don't know that you can have a big record these days just on the strength of good reviews. Yeah, you know? I, I, mean, I mean, well, that, that was well, the Village Voice thing was I think with with almost killed me. It was just kind of well, it was like. Thirty third on the right pads and job yeah. poll or what and 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 it was just, and it was just kind of like it, it was it was I don't know it was it was it was kind of that was kind of like a watershed moment too in that even if you haven't heard of us especially in like the rock critic community yeah. it's like okay who like yeah thirty thirty third like not that big of a deal but. I think it kind of forced everyone, and we were very polarizing always. Yeah. And I think it, I think it forced people to at least have an opinion on us and yeah. know who we were. Right. It right. kind of definitely like it definitely like upped our profile substantially, and it was our first record. Like that's kind of crazy. Yeah, and you know, historically coming off of all the the Strokes and you know lesser degree the White Stripes, but like all the bands that followed the Strokes and and then the DNC punk stuff. All the like real tight jeans and the hi hat sure. stuff. I think we were a little bit of a brush for fresh air for some people who are like, right. these guys just get ripped and play like you know, <laughs> right, right. straightish rock music, right? You know? And they and and there's you know they they sound vaguely like cheap trick, yeah, like that, yeah. which again wasn't cool at the time or whatever, yeah. and probably still isn't, but yeah, but yeah, but it was, but but and it wasn't. I don't I don't think we were necessarily like. Eh. Maybe we were vaguely reactionary. I guess nothing, no. nothing in particular, but it was just, but it was just kind of like you know, we it, we didn't. I didn't we, feel close enough to it to be reactionary. Right. It was like well, and it was just kind of like I mean, once once Separation Sunday happened, we were just we were just gone all the time. Yeah. We were just yeah. in our own universe. Yeah. It wasn't about like you know, like oh, we could have been hanging out with this band or this. we weren't hanging out with we were hanging out with the bands that we played with because yeah. we were just like gone playing shows yeah. all the time it wasn't you know I can't oh, you know yeah. oh wow I'm going to dim sum with the dudes from the strokes or whatever yeah. it's like I, you know I served them drinks at high-fi occasionally but hey uh, thanks for listening you'll hear more from the other guys in the band over the coming weeks um, I think next week we're going to have my conversation with Franz The records are available now. Uh, I think they turned out really great. And um, Separation Sunday and Almost Killed Me are available on vinyl for the first time in a long time. So um, thanks for listening. Stay positive. You want me to tell like it's boy meets girl and the rest is history? Yeah, or do you want to like a murder mystery? I'm going to tell like a comeback story. Cause when we left, we were defeated and depressed And when we arrived, we were ripping high We had a gun in the glove box We had some sweet stuff stuck into our socks And Jesus Christ in all his glory